Praise God. Good morning, church. So I want to encourage us, we've just really begun really a series for the remainder of the summer, moving into the summer here now, where we're going to be going through the entire Gospel of Mark. 16 weeks, 16 chapters. Last week was chapter 1. And I want to encourage you, if you would, um, maybe take this opportunity to, to read your Bible and move through the Gospel of Mark with us. And so it'd be easy to catch up if you've missed one week. Uh, take about five minutes to read a chapter, if that. And so how we'd like to maybe just uh, plan that out would be, uh, like last week, Pastor Wally preached on uh, chapter 1, so I would encourage you last week to have read chapter 1. Right now, I'm going to preach from a portion from chapter 2. This upcoming week, dive into chapter 2 and read it and see how the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and we'll move through this gospel together. My hope for every single one of us this summer is that I, I pray that we begin to see the Messiah in a fresh light, uh, perhaps a facet of the Messiah that would be new to us and would be encouraging for every single one of us. And it is simply this, that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, that he was born very, very much on mission. Uh, 12-year-old, I have to be about my father's business. Scripture must be fulfilled. Just incredible clarity around the purpose and the mission that his father had sent him on. And you see Jesus like driven to accomplish that mission. Um, and people's attempts to distract or change him uh, simply were not going to work. And so he gets to a point in his ministry, and we'll see this as we move through the book, where it becomes so strong in him that he, he comes to a point where he's like, I'm now setting my face towards Jerusalem. This, this man on a mission is ready to suffer, ready to give his life, ready to go to the cross, ready to sacrifice for every single one of us, and he simply would not be deterred. Now, in that context today, we're going to look at the second chapter, where for the first time in this gospel, Jesus is going to go very public with what I would simply describe as a Messiah statement. He's going to say something in, this, in these few verses that no one else really gets to say. Only the Messiah can make a statement like this. It's going to blow some people's lids. It's going to tick some people off. And eventually, it will become, in their eyes, the justification for his execution. And Jesus knows exactly what he is saying and what the ramifications of that is. So let me read about 11, 12 verses here. And I want you to detect and find the statement that Jesus is just about to say that is a Messiah statement. Let's take a look. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. You remember Pastor Wally last week just talking about the massive crowds of people. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed and walk? Now, which is easier? I think, in truth, it is a far harder thing to say to a person, all of your sins are washed away. Pragmatically, though, in the moment, 
It's a far harder thing to say, get up off your mat, if you're talking to someone who has no ability to move their physical body. It would be far easier for you and I to say to somebody, oh yeah, your sins are forgiven, because there's no way to see that or to show that or to display that. But then to say to somebody, get up off your mat and walk, you've got to show me the goods right now if you're going to say that. But that you may know that the Son of, of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. My guess is that it's about three foot by six foot. That's my best guess. The size of his mat. I would estimate it's probably about three by six. I want you to, for a moment, to imagine the life of a paralytic man in the ancient world. Three foot by six foot. Somebody has to feed him, clothe him, carry him, move him because he can't physically move his body, so he would be covered in bed sores if he were not moved regularly. Somebody has to clean him when he soils himself. And in this world, the idea of any shades of independence are almost nothing. There is nothing to be done for him. There is no surgery. There is no hospital. There is no rehab program. There is no medical facility. There is no medicine. And so he must be a beggar for the remainder of his life, waiting for coins to be dropped in his lap. So, probably very little money. We hear of no family at all. And there doesn't seem to be much influence or clout. And his hopes for a dreamy future, not so much. So what's he got going for him? Well, he's got a killer small group. He's got a really, really cool community group that he hangs with. Now, I would love for you to understand the context of what's happening here. What I want to show you is Jesus Christ, this man of action, this man of action who's just moving. Man, if you just read chapter one and chapter two, it's unbelievable. It's like episode after episode, just in two small chapters, healing, healing, huge crowds, uh, demon being delivered, another healing, another healing. It's just, it's just action, action, action. The context of what here is, Jesus is about to see something in this crowd with regards to this paralytic man, and he is immediately going to counter it and oppose it. It's a crazy scene, but Jesus has his own agenda. The context of illness in the ancient world, for anyone who was, had any kind of physical problem in their life, was immediate sense of stigma. Yours, there's something wrong with you, and that's a problem. The Greek culture, ex which existed in, the, in this time frame, they would simply dispose of deformed babies. It was considered the right thing to do. The Roman culture, which they'd been occupied by, actually had a statute that I'm going to quote for you from their books. So this was legal precedent. It simply says this, quickly kill a deformed child. I pray our country never gets to this point. Israel, so that's Greece, that's Rome, look at Israel. If you had any kind of disease or disability of any kind, it was immediately understood by everybody in Israel that the reason why you had that was because you had done something very, very bad, that you were some kind of awful sinner or that it was in your family, like maybe your parents or something like that. And everybody thought like that and everybody functioned like that, so much so that a little later on in this gospel, we see Jesus um, come across a blind man 
And in front of the blind man, the disciples walk up to Jesus and the blind man right there and say, excuse me, Jesus, why is this man blind? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? Like zero sensitivity in that moment. Because it was so common to just think that and to function like that. So they didn't care what they said in front of the man. He understood that that was the case, that he must be some kind of horrible sinner or his parents or probably both. That's the thinking that's going through everyone's head. And what is that? It's nothing but the usual nasty finger pointing that we've all experienced in life. We've all seen it. We've all done it at some stage. We've all done that. And it's, you know, I'm better than you are type stuff. And for these guys, particularly in Israel, it was a sense of spiritual inferiority, looking to, to sin in your life. I'm better than you. I'm superior than you. You're less than I am, that kind of thinking. And the, the man of action, Jesus Christ, he comes on the scene, and he's like, i got no time for that kind of nonsense. You, your thinking is wrong on that, and I'm going to set you straight on this. And then we have this little band of brothers, his friends. And they're unique because they don't seem to care about that prevalent thinking. They don't care about that stigma. And so they're ready to step into the social stigma and the rule breaking because they're going to crash through somebody's roof in just a minute here. And the financial pressures in this man's life as he's a beggar trying to make ends meet. And while everyone else is shocked at what they're doing, Jesus looks at it and he's like, I am loving this. This is, this is fantastic. So what I want to share with you today is simply three items. And if I could couch them like this, for me, I think if I were in Jesus' shoes and you had massive crowds of people and everybody's coming and it's drama and emotion and desperation, heal me, there's demonic strongholds and bondage and sickness and all that kind of stuff and we want to hear from you and everybody wants a slice of Jesus, I think I'd be just trying to cope in the moment, especially when someone says, there's no room, we're actually going to break through the roof and bring a man down. I think I'd be like, oh, this is crazy, right? I mean, how would you manage something like that? Jesus is above all of that. He's like, I see all of that going on around me, and I've got my own agenda. And I want to show you three things that are on the agenda of the Messiah. Number one, everyone has a mat. Did you know this? That you have a mat. Everyone does. And, and I want you, if you would, quite simply to let that mat stand in front of you as a picture of human brokenness and imperfection. So what I'm saying is, you ain't perfect, and neither am I. Every single one of us have, a, have some semblance of brokenness and imperfection in our lives. Everyone, it's what's not normal about you. It's what's not normal about me. Well, I would suggest to you today, it's only when we allow other people to see that mat, which typically we love to hide, right? I've got it all together. I've got my act together. Look at me. All is well. We like to hide that, but it's only when we actually allow other people to see that mat, when we actually begin to move into a place where we give and we receive help, where healing begins to become possible. Every effective Alcoholics Anonymous meeting is a fellowship of the mat. Hi, my name is George, and this is what you don't know about me. That's pretty ugly. Hi, my name is Sue, and these are my propensities, and they ain't good. Hi, my name is Sam, and, and this is where I tend to move in terms, in terms of addiction and bondage in my life. That is a fellowship of the map. Here's me in my imperfection. I would suggest to you today that every healthy family should be able to have a fellowship of the mat. This is my brokenness. And I'm not trying to hide you or, or hide that from you or impress you and pretend like it's not the case. Every healthy church should have a fellowship of the mat. Why? Because everybody has a mat. 
Maybe you're mad as a raging temper or fear. Maybe you have an inability to trust. Maybe it's a need to be in control. Maybe your mat involves a terrible secret of something that you've done in your life and you can't even fathom to think about it. Maybe it's a crushing sense of failure and you didn't amount to what you hoped or maybe it's inadequacy or maybe it's loneliness. But a community must be made up of people in all of its richness, but it must also be made up of people in all of its poverty and weakness. People who simply accept each other knowing that there's imperfection and brokenness and actually are able to forgive each other. People who are vulnerable with each other and honest with each other. Humility and trust. This is, listen to this. Humility and trust are so much more a foundation to true community than perfection. That's a, that's a country club. I, I always have that thing in my head, like a country club is, and maybe I'm wrong, I've never been in a country club. Is that not a place where, you know, sometimes there's an exchange of success? And look at me, and I've got my family together. I mean, I've seen that stuff in life, and I know you have too. That's not a foundation for community. I find that very repelling. Well, I have a little sister. She's about eight years younger than I am. And growing up, we had um, two neighbor kids that were her friends that would always come over to the house, a little boy and girl, uh, brother and sister. And the little boy was in a horrible car accident when he was a toddler. And I don't know the percentage, but I would estimate probably 90% of his body is covered in scars, thick, thick scars. He's a burn victim. And he has some hair on his head, but he's mostly bald and scars all over his face. His nose is completely scars. His, uh, all of his digits are all welded together. He can't be couldn't bend his knees. I mean, ha hardcore, serious, serious burn victim. And lovely, lovely kid. And he'd come over and they'd play and they'd run around the house and run around the yard and they'd have games and stuff. And then, often case, as the older brother, they, you know, they want to go down the village to get some sweets. And, you know, Alan would bring them, bring them down to the village. So we'd walk down there. And you know what happens is you don't see it, right? You don't see it. You see it initially, but then you're done with that. And then he's just the kid. And he's, he's got that funny sense of humor. And this is his personality. And you're just playing with the guy and having fun. We get down the village. And, of course, what would happen is people would begin to stare. And if you saw him, you would, you would, it would catch your attention. It couldn't but. And it was so funny because I found myself, I, I would guess maybe 13 or 14 or something like that. And there I'd be, and I'd be like, why are they, who are they staring at? And I'd realize, and then it would click with me because I, I couldn't see the scars anymore. And then there I am, like 13-year-old, and I'm giving the stink eye to every adult that is looking at him. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm here. Because something inside of me wanted to protect him. Don't look at him. Don't hurt his feelings. Don't do that. You don't know him. I know him. He's a great guy. Now, I say that story because I want you to truly appreciate what this paralytic man is enduring. He's enduring a reality where you take a glance at him, and immediately he's judged. In a, in a horrible way, in a, in a very spiritual way, in a con, an incredibly religious culture like Israel. Immediately, it's just a sense of just finger pointing like, you must be something vile because of, and God did this to you. This is the thinking that, that the man of action has no time for. These guys get to the house and they find that like, they can't even get through the front door. It's packed. There's so many crowds. Guys, we're going in. We're going to crash through this roof. I don't care what people think. I know it's not the right thing. I know we're breaking some rules. We're wrecking somebody's house. 
a good bit here, but we're going in. I don't care. We got to get our friend close to Jesus because he could do something. Maybe he could help him. So they tear a hole in the roof. This is a big deal. And look at what it says, verse 5. When Jesus saw their fate, he saw something. This man of action, this is what he's come for. Notice what the text does not say. There's, there's nothing about what his friends are verbalizing. There's no dialogue going on here. There's just really a great big hole in the ceiling. And in my imagination, there had to be like stuff falling down, right? I would imagine like this, like everyone getting up off their seats, getting like, holy cow, there's wood or plaster or whatever they made roofs with back then and dust, dirt falling down everywhere. I'm sure everyone was jumping up and moving and the filth and the dirt of it all and people are making a noise. They're laying aside the stigma and the protests and the people who wouldn't be happy and the objections. It's the context of this man's shame and his vulnerability, his publicly broken body. And Jesus looks at that and he says, I am seeing the finest in humanity. This is wonderful. He sees their fate. He looks at four sweaty faces peeping down through this hole in the, in, in the, in the roof, and they're full of anxiety and desperation. Do you think you can help this guy? Because we're bringing him down one way or another. And Jesus is loving it. Number one, everyone has a mat. Number two, this is, this is probably the centerpiece of this passage. I've come to forgive sins. I, this is why I've come. And you need to hear this today. Uh, to me, what Jesus says next kind of doesn't make any sense, right? Imagine this. They're lowering down the paralytic. What's he thinking? I can't move my body. I'd like Jesus to heal me, right? That makes, that's pretty common sense, right? What's everyone else thinking? It's a paralytic. It's a lousy, no good, filthy, vile sinner, but he can't move his body. Let's see if Jesus can heal his body. So the question before us is, can you help him? Can you heal him? Can you fix his body? Jesus, is this something that you can do? And there's what Jesus says in response to everybody's thinking, can you physically heal this man? Here's what he says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Do you see why that doesn't add up for me? I, I need you to fix my body. But you haven't said anything about the fact that I can't move. So right out of the gate, the man of action, he just stated out loud what would be considered utter, pure blasphemy. This is why I'm here. This is my mission. I am not distracted or unclear about it. I have come here to find unfaithful people so yes, they can be healed and restored, made whole and given freedom, but I'm here to completely wash away their sins. I love to do that. That's what I'm here to do. My goal is to eradicate shame and condemnation and guilt and regret, all of that stuff that you and I are very, very common. This is my state of goal. Heaven and earth and hell itself are on notice. I've come to forgive sins. That's what I'm doing. And somebody here today needed to hear that. Some of you already know that. I pray you never take it for granted or get used to it. That Jesus has come to forgive sins. But there's somebody here today, and you really needed to hear that. This is your invitation, actually, to come to the one who forgives sins. To, and here's the unfair exchange. To lay down that which is worst about you, and then to receive a brand new life. Doesn't make much sense, does it? Beauty for ashes. This is what he does. This is what he loves to do. And right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to 
one or two individuals here in a very, very specific and powerful way. Do you mean that that could possibly apply to me and my mess and my sins and my shame? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Do you mean my sins and my mistakes and my shame can really be taken away from me? The answer is yes. Jesus is saying to you today, I have come to you today to forgive sins. That's what I'm about. That's my mission. Everyone has a mat. I've come to forgive sins. And number three, his agenda. I've come for those everyone else discounted. So Jesus looks down at this broken and twisted body. And he sees more than a broken and twisted body. He sees what every one of us has. And that is a broken soul. And Jesus does. And and again, he's saying something that I just didn't expect him to say. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. When everyone's like, surely it's son, your body's healed. But he doesn't do that. Now, this guy has got to be thinking, I just want to be able to move my body. I'm not sure that I signed up for this crazy stunt of going through the roof and being lowered down, Jesus, for you to bring up again what everybody always brings up about me. You've just brought up my sin again. The very reason why everyone thinks I am the way that I am. Why did you bring that up, Jesus? I didn't want you to talk about that. One glance at my broken body, and everyone's always talking and looking about me and my mistakes and my sin. How about you just fix my paralyzed body, please? No. Jesus knew that this man's deepest need was his standing with God. Jesus knew that you don't need to be able to lift a finger to be a sinner. Jesus knew that oftentimes the darkness of our hearts rests with resentment and arrogance and lovelessness and judgmentalism. And Jesus was addressing something huge in his life. Look, I get it. All your life, people looking down their noses at you. All your life, people considering themselves spiritually superior to you. All your life, people have viewed the Father as the one who came and twisted your body and broke your body because you're vile and you're evil and you're shameful and you're awful and you're bad. But listen to this man on mission, this man of action. That's not the Father. You've got it wrong. I am here today to tell you that I have all authority, even authority to forgive sins and to make this man new, simply because I declare it to be true. In my Father's kingdom, there is no spiritually elite. When religion is invoked, diminished dignity of any human being, any of God's children, it's time to get rid of that so-called religion so that we can actually embrace the gospel. Whenever God is invoked to justify prejudice or contempt or hostility, it's time for you to quit that little God and actually get your eyes on the real God because that is not what God does. Now, there were some men in the room who didn't like what was going on and they didn't approve. Guess who was on time? Guess who got the front seat? Well, typically, as we see in the Gospels, it was Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law. These were not the people that people looked down their noses at. They're the opposite. They're the people that were revered. They're the spiritual giants. They're the people who've got their act together. They're the people who are experts in the law. They got there on time. They got seats. But notice what they didn't bring. They never brought any friends. Apparently, these spiritual giants didn't know anybody who needed someone like Jesus. Apparently, these spiritual megastars didn't know anybody who was broken or impoverished or hurt or sick. 
They probably passed them on their way, but they didn't invite them. That's not what they were there to do at all. But because Jesus loves his enemies, <laughs> which is amazing, he knows exactly what's going on in their heads, and they're not coping with the fact that he's actually said that he has authority to forgive sins. And so look at what he says. I'm going to reread these, this verse. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth today. Authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately and he picked up his bed and he went out before them and they were all amazed and glorified God and said, we've never seen anything like this. I want everyone to know. This is Jesus. I want everyone to know. This is my agenda. I want everyone to know, especially the spiritually smug and the spiritually elite, that I have come for the very people that you have discarded, the ones that you've forgotten about. You spiritual leaders of Israel, you cannot see what is standing right in front of you, but I see this man. Again, I believe that there's a person in the room today, and you genuinely feel like you're barely worthy to walk into this place. You're just gutted within yourself. You feel so damaged. You remember clearly the mistakes of your past. Some of us even like, man, I don't even have to go back years. We're talking recent, recent past. And you just cringe at yourself. The shameful decision that you brought damaged to your life and even to your relationships. Stigma? I'll tell you what your stigma is. It's actually self-stigma at your own existence. And there... From that place in your life, people have pointed their fingers at you and you have been judged cruelly. Can I say to today, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you might bump into Mark chapter 2. I'm so glad that you might hear a Jesus who would say, look, I know you've got a mat. I've come to forgive sins. And here's the thing. I'm not discarding you. Even if everyone else does, that's not my game. I don't play that game at all. This is the moment I trust that Jesus perhaps would come crashing through the roof of your life and say to you, a bruised reed I will not break. I will treat you because I see you so fragile and I will treat you so gently. I will take your shame. I will take the worst thing about you. The reason why you feel like you're inadequate to walk through these doors. And I just can't make you new because I see you. This is what I do. This is what I love to do. This is what I died for. I would never discard you, and I know the worst thing about you. I know all of your flaws. I am here to remake you. This is good news. Those spiritual leaders probably walked past this guy begging on their way to be on time to hear Jesus. Church, radars on like high alert as you walk out of this door, that you are bumping into a world of people who are consumed with their own flaws and brokenness, that you might not get out of this building today, perhaps the ability to have a conversation even to somebody in the family of God, that you've got to go beyond talking about the weather because they are desperately in need of someone to affirm them and encourage them and love them. This man stands up. He lifts up his mat. He folds it, the thing he has spent his entire life on, and suddenly, never again. His world has now been enlarged from three by six to as far as his feet can carry him. And it's not just his body that has been healed, but his heart, his soul, 
Every sin that he's ever committed has been forgiven. Physically, relationally, spiritually, he's the healthiest guy in the room. And this is the early days of Jesus' ministry. This is chapter two. (laughs) What an agenda. Look at this man of action. I want you to know this. You have a mat. I know that about you. Every person here is broken. And he has come to even the playing field. He has come for the unrighteous. He's come for those in need. He says, I have come to forgive sins. That's what I'm all about. It's a new day. In fact, I have authority to deal with the greatest problem on earth that you cannot deal with in and of yourself. I am the very embodiment of forgiveness. I will be the way. I will be the only mediator between you and your mess and the Holy Father. I will be your advocate. I'll put you in good standing with the Father. That's why I've come. And then he says, I've come for those everyone else discounted. In my kingdom, in my kingdom, every one of us, co-equal beggars at the foot of the cross. Imagine if Christianity was this. Imagine if Christianity was Jesus saying, okay, I've got one rule. You're a bunch of mess, right? You guys are a bunch of terrible, lousy sinners. Every one of you. But I got, you got to do this one thing, and then you're going to be good. So here's what you got to do. I'd be like all ears. I want you to jump to the moon. There it is. You're a bunch of no good sinners, every last one of you. But here's how you fix it. If you want to be in good standing with the Father, go ahead and jump to the moon. And so what do we start doing? Church gets together, and we're like, okay, man. We, we got to jump to the moon, right? So let's go. Let's do this thing. And so we start jumping, and, and all of a sudden we're like, man, I, I got six inches. Right? But then someone else comes along, and they're like, six inches. Eight inches right here. I got eight inches up. And then someone else comes along. Oh, you haven't heard about the one-foot club? There's a one-foot club in the church now. You're not in the one-foot club? I mean, you got to be in the one-foot club, because the one-foot club, I mean, they're, we're talking 12. And up. There's the one and a half. There's two feet. There's a two feet. There's a new record. We got the two foot club, and they're going to jump to the moon. Guys, you, you get what's going on here? It's ridiculous, right? Because it's the moon, and you can't jump to the moon. And the man of action comes in. He comes on the scene, and he says, Guys, knock it off. This is nonsense. No one is going to get there. You're broken. And stop looking at each other saying, I can jump half an inch higher than you. It's going to take something supernatural. It's going to take something beyond your human capacity. It will require an effort and a sacrifice like you've never seen. Here I am with authority to forgive sins. Mark chapter 2. Who here needs Jesus Christ? Who here is broken and needs a faithful God because of your unfaithfulness? And whatever the enemy has done to come into your life and to destroy you and ruin you and and, and shred your reputation and break you down, our God can build and uh, uh, he can heal and rebuild. That's what he does. He heals and rebuilds and heals and rebuilds. Our God makes all things new even when we are unfaithful. This is just what he does. And don't miss the shocker in this passage when he says, your sins have been forgiven. He has authority to forgive sins. And if that's you today and you need your sins forgiven, 
You've come to the right man, the man of action. Would you pray with me? Father, today I want to give you my life. Today I want to cross the line of faith. Today I want to go to a place of belief and trust. Lord, if it costs me everything, I want to follow you. I want to pick up my cross and live for you. And today all I can bring to the table is my mistakes and my shame and my guilt. And so I offer you that and I pray, God, that you would come and make me new. That you would make me your son or your daughter. That I would become a child of God. And so in this moment, Jesus, I commit my heart to you and I will follow you and I will live for you all the days of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, Jesus is only just beginning to push the Father's mission forward. And he says, nobody, nobody, nobody gets discarded. Nobody gets left behind. Not on my watch. I am the healer. And this is the huge thing in the passage today. I have authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, even to do what? Even to be the forgiver of your sins. Can we stand together? Church, this is our God. This is the one we serve. This is the one we worship.